Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Adventures in DevOps. Joining me today in the studio, Jonathan Hall. Hey, everybody. And I'm Will Button. And we have our guest today, Luca Galante. Welcome, Luca. Hi. Thanks for having me. Hey, we're excited to have you here. I'm excited to have this conversation. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, but before we jump into the topic of platform engineering and wherever else our conversation leads us, do you want to drop a little info for our listeners about your background and what you do? Sure. Um, so I run product at Humanitech, and I am probably better known on Twitter uh, as one of the core contributors of the platform engineering community. I moderate the Slack over there. I host PlatformCon, which is the largest uh, platform engineering conference out there. And I also write Platform Weekly, which is a newsletter that goes out every week about platform engineering to, I think, like 10,000 people or so. I think um, the statement, I'm better known on Twitter, is probably an understatement. I see stuff from you on my timeline over and over. And it's it's never like repeated posts, like uh, the sheer number of tweets that come out from from you is pretty remarkable. So I have a feeling that a lot of our listeners are going to go, oh, yeah, I know that guy. That annoying guy that spams <laughs> <laughs> my feed. Yeah, it's me. It's me. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the I interviewed 5,000 platform engineers and here's what I learned guy. And it's like, wait a minute. You interviewed 5,000 platform engineers. You hold down a full-time job. You're cranking out tweets like a madman. Do you sleep at all? <laughs> no, not much. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so, so off the bat, just so I'm clear, platform engineering is basically designing Super Mario levels, right? <laughs> <laughs> Correct. It's Super Mario levels for the enterprise. <laughs> That's the new definition. Awesome. <laughs> So how do you introduce a uh, platform uh, engineering? What, how do you how do you tell people what it is? If if you're if you're talking to a non-techie or maybe somebody who maybe they're a front-end developer, they don't have any concept of DevOps. What do you tell them? What is platform engineering? Yeah, so I think like in the simplest sort of uh, formulation of it is you know is basically the art of taking all the different tech and tools that you have in your usually enterprise engineering organization today and bind them, glue them together into one or multiple golden paths to enable developer self-service. And the main idea of developer self-service is you want to reduce the cognitive load on the individual contributor, on the developer, and at the same time, um, you know, make operations people life better uh, by, you know, uh, removing them as a bottleneck in the delivery process. And the kind of superset of these golden paths is what is often referred to as an internal developer platform, or IDP for short. And that is the end product of a platform engineering team or organization. Is it true, the meme I've seen on social media lately, that DevOps is dead, long-lived platform engineering? Is, is platform engineering replacing DevOps? Great question. Um, so uh, 
the so so first of all i want to like give a little caveat um the um you know the 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 doubts is that is something that basically started i think at this point like a long time ago like almost a year ago um like like 10 months ago and it was because our cto at humanitech went on an interview with um this devops toolkit or some other I don't remember DevOps X um, YouTube. Um, it's Sid Palace is the is the host. Um, and so when Sid was kind of like recapping the conversation, he tweeted out, "DevOps is that long lived platform engineer." And I read this tweet and I was like, "Damn, that's a, that's a good way of formulating it." <laughs> and um, and so basically, I I took it and I ran with it. And I ran with it hard. <laughs> and, um, and, and so I think, look, it was like a really good sort of like marketing campaign. Uh, I think it got, it got a lot more vile than I ever thought it would. And, um, and, and it really started a, a super important conversation um, that I think really had to be had in the space. Now, um, the issue I think with it is it got too viral meaning the velocity of the message was too fast for the velocity of the conversation to catch up to it, right? And what that meant was that a lot of people basically got this message without any context. And so if I've been working in DevOps or as a DevOps engineer for the last 10 years and you tell me, hey, you're dead, that's not nice. Um, and so it, it pissed a lot of people off and, and I think rightly so. And so... Now we we stopped that campaign and um, um, and we we're formulating it in a in a I think uh, softer way. So we talk about DevOps burnout a lot of times. Um, but the the bottom line of the of the conversation is the same, right? There the 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 point is there is a problem with DevOps today, um, and and so I think to to understand that. It's probably helpful to take a step back and look at where DevOps comes from, right? And and so DevOps came up maybe like 15 years ago uh, or so plus at this point. Um, and and when it did, the world was a very different place, right? We were usually developing on monoliths, maybe running on bare metal. The infrastructure that we were operating was uh, considerably less complex. There was no Kubernetes, no Terraform, no CNCF 10,000 tools landscape, right? And um, and the initial idea of DevOps was very simple, right? It was really remove barriers between developers and operations and facilitate collaboration, right? You build it, you run it, um, which is a great idea. We were coming from the, you know, throwing over the fence to the sysadmin world. So that made a ton of sense. Um, the issue though is when you take all these converging trends and technologies that happened in the last 15 years. So, you know, containerization Kubernetes, IAC and Terraform, GitOps, I don't know, throw your cloud native uh, buzzword du jour. Um, then, uh, you know, then the reality is that what um, you could have built and run on your own 15 years ago becomes really hard to manage today. Right. And so if let's say I'm a front end developer and I just want to, you know, deploy a small change to a preview environment to test something out. 
15 years ago when you know Werner Fogel screamed on um, on on a stage you build the urane um, that would have probably meant me touching one script and one tool maybe um, nowadays is you know 10 scripts and five tools and you know I need to understand a hum chart I need to understand this terraform module over here I need to understand some like mysterious YAML that some other person put together and, you know, and I need to touch all these different things. And, and so the end result of that is developers are overwhelmed. Um, we talk a lot about cognitive load, cognitive overload, like, like the idea, right. That like, you just want to focus on shipping features, but now you have this, like need to learn of these other things. And it's not like developers are stupid. They can learn it if you want, but the question is, should they, Right. Um, and as an organization, do you want them to or do you want them to, you know, ship features and, and do the job that you pay them for? And um, and so developers are overwhelmed and, and they're blocked. And, and oftentimes what, what, hands, what ends up happening is they start creating tickets for operations. And what results from there is what we call ticket ops. Um, and the operations teams are completely underwater. They're basically fighting for their life and trying to put up fires all the time. And they are fighting this ticket ops, right? And they become a huge bottleneck. So they're under pressure. They become a huge bottleneck. And so overall productivity and velocity drops. And, you know, this affects all your kind of like Dara metric in a very quantitative way. But also in a quantitative way, it may be harder to track. There's just like a lot of frustration in the system. There's a lot of friction between developers and operations. And it's just not a good uh, working experience uh, for a lot of teams. And that is the reality of DevOps today. Um, in, in the vast majority of organizations, in all the 5,000 teams that I spoke to. Um, and, so, um, and so then... Who were the first teams to realize that there was a problem? Well, it was the leading tech companies and top performing engineering orgs that, you know, if you are in Airbnb or Google or Spotify, you're onboarding like hundreds of developers a month, literally. And your cloud native setup is probably, you know, at the bleeding edge. So it is very, is constantly evolving, right? And, and, probably increasingly complex. And so these companies quickly had to realize, hey, there is no way I can expect the hundreds of new developers that I uh, hire every every month to be able to do everything in this increasingly complex infrastructure and cloud-native setup. This doesn't make any sense. And so they realized, hmm, I need to build some sort of platform layer in between the operation side of things and developers to enable developer self-service, kill these waiting times and unblock operation teams, right? Um, and so they started doing this stuff probably like 10 years ago at this point. And, uh, you know, that's when the first kind of like version of Google Borg uh, came out and, and all these things, right? And then since then, it, it has sort of like started trickling down to smaller engineer organizations still, you know, mid-size enterprise, large-size enterprise, and uh, less advanced engineering organizations as well, right? And so what platform engineering really is, very simply, is a almost an evolution of, of DevOps, right? But it's the discipline that enables 
true, you build a urana, true DevOps, right? So in that sense, it's not, it's not a DevOps killer at all. It is just like how DevOps actually can, can happen in the, in the modern cloud native era, right? And, yeah. and, and I think that's, that's it. That's the reality. <laughs> and that's the conversation that is hard to have, right? Um, with a lot of people, and which is why I still think like the whole dubs is that controversy was great because it started the conversation. But you realize like now I've been speaking for like 10 minutes about this thing. It's not something that you can deliver in a, in a one-liner or in a tweet. It's a, it's a nuanced conversation. And I really realized that when, um, you know, <laughs> Humanitech, uh, our booth at KubeCon uh, in Detroit in October was Dubs is Dead. <laughs> and it was a really cool design. <laughs> um, and um, because obviously, I, you know, we decided to do that when um, when I first tweeted this out, right? And it was like, there was no controversy, like not, nobody had even seen that yet. And, and that's the thing, you need to commit to your booth designs like three or four months in advance for KubeCon, right? <laughs> and then so this whole thing exploded. And then, you know, basically was like, damn, now we're gonna, now we need to go there, right? But it was actually great because all these people a lot of like mad people walked up to us at the booth, right? And they were like, what are you talking about? Like, why is that? Is that? And I can, I'm not lying. Like a hundred percent of them like hugged it out in the end and walked away with the dubs is that t-shirt. A hundred percent of them, right? <laughs> and, and that's where I realized like it's really powerful when you can have this conversation, right? But then I was looking at what's happening online and as, as usually it's the case on Twitter, it's not really a conversation. It's just people yelling at each other, right? <laughs> and, and so that, that was kind of the, the thing there. And, and you know, I'll, I'll say one last thing on this. The, the only people that were extremely defensive about it, that didn't walk out with a t-shirt, were the other vendors. Um, and, and, <laughs> and, 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 and I think this speaks volumes to the fact that, like, you know, Twitter... I think is, is a very, you know, sort of like Delves Twitter is actually like a very good representation or or, or I'd, I'd say the other way around, like KubeCon is a very good representation of Delves Twitter, like the, the boots there. Because it's, it's, you know, all your uh, dev advocates and like very loud voices in the community who all have, guess what, a very invested interest in, you know, the status quo and have this like very ideological dream about what DevOps is and like, oh, that, like I had this guy coming up to me. He's like, no, DevOps is about making the world a better place. Like, what are you talking about? Um, and, and, uh, and, and, and they're very, and I think it, it, like it became clear to me that there's a really deep disconnect between, you know, the loudest voices and the vendors and people that sell this thing and the practitioners who actually live DevOps day to day and totally agree like, yeah, actually there is a problem here, right? And and so I just thought that was like a really interesting to see. That's interesting. I probably would have left without a t-shirt, but uh, for two reasons. One, I don't wear t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> I might have taken one for my wife to wear. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, the second design. is, um, <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm one of the, I, I don't, I don't like most of the DevOps vendors either. Uh, I think they don't, I think, I think they're representing DevOps. They're, they're representing DevOps in a way that uh, they think will make the money, not necessarily in a way that's realistic or or meaningful or or whatever. Same same as 
all the agile vendors, right? You know, all the agile frameworks and certifications, whatever. They're trying to make money and, you know, that's their right. But that doesn't mean they're necessarily selling something that is, quote, truly agile or truly DevOps or whatever. Um, but I see, I see platform engineering and, I, and I've, I give a presentation uh, uh, to, to Scrum Masters that I, uh, I teach sometimes about this. Uh, what is DevOps? And, you know, I, I teach about platform engineering. It's a, it's a half-day workshop. It's a very condensed version of it. But I, I present platform engineering as one piece of the DevOps puzzle. Uh, and one option, you know, like a lot of people have this idea that DevOps means that every team has to know, understand Kubernetes and how to write React and how to write back in Ruby and whatever, you know, every team has to know everything. I'm like that, that is a way to do DevOps. You know, if you're a small company, maybe, you know, you're a five person startup. Fine. That's great. But once you scale beyond two or three teams, that's not a scalable way to work. If you want to be efficient, you need something like platform engineering. And that's a way to achieve DevOps. I see it more as an enabler, not a replacement. Exactly. I'm curious if you have any nuance to add to that. No, totally agree. I mean, literally just what I was just saying. And, and I think to your point, the interesting kind of uh, conversation there is what is the threshold, right? Like at what point does platform engineering become interesting for a company um, versus, hey, we're just a team of 10 people and everybody is totally uh, comfortable handling Helm charts and customizing whatever. And you don't need to build an extra layer because it just creates overhead, right? And what we have seen in the market is the the cutting point. Uh, so it, it feels there is basically a, a bracket between 50 and 100 engineers where at 50, people start experiencing some issues where, hmm, I have one or two people on ops and they start really becoming under pressure. Um, and and then by the time they hit 100, so between the 50 and 100 is when people basically start building some sort of platform layer. Whether um, they have properly planned it or not, because I think like a really interesting um, you know, quote that somebody said, uh, I don't remember who or when, but they were saying, you know, if you don't, if you don't build your platform, it will build itself. Um, and I think that's a, that's a really interesting way of looking at it, right? Of, hey, um, you know, people will organically figure out solutions to, to the problems that they have, especially engineers being engineers. And so if you as technical executives and CTOs and VP engineering and so on, don't take the lead on this. There will be just basically a bottom-up, if you will, um, platform initiative that that will start. And um, that's fine. uh, But at some point, it's important that you really get stakeholder alignment um, because you have three groups here, right? You have these sort of like developers, operation infrastructure people, and then management. And it's really important for a successful platform team uh, for a successful platform initiative to take place that all three of those stakeholders are aligned on the long-term vision. I think one of the places where it really, where I personally have really benefited from it is just in decision fatigue. Because as you, like, as you were mentioning, Luca, you know, as the team grows from an ops perspective, you find less and less time where you're able to meet and work with those engineers early in their development cycle and so what ends up happening is you get notified of this new thing that you've got to support as it's closer to production. And then you start getting 
what I call DevOps surprise, like, oh, surprise, this is running on Kubernetes and surprise, this is running on AWS Fargate and surprise, hey, we signed up with Vercel, you know? And so one of the big yeah. benefits of, of having this conversation and deciding on, on your, your IDP is like all of these tools are great. Kubernetes is great. Fargate's great. You know, Zeet's great. They're all great. Um, but if you're using all of them, that's not great. And so it's just making a decision. Hey, right. here's what we're going to use. And like, sure, maybe one has like a few features that the other one doesn't have. Um, but once you decide on it, I've rarely seen the feature disparity between the different products being the reason that your company wasn't successful. But there's a whole bunch of wins you can get by just eliminating all of those other choices and saying, here's the one that we're going to run with and we'll go with it for a few years and maybe we'll outgrow it, maybe we won't. But in the meantime, we're going to be really productive by not having to have this conversation every single time we go to production. Yeah, 100%. And in fact, you know, to go back to that kind of like, what's the threshold, right? Like, if you're below that threshold, very likely you're much better off just going for a pass solution, right? Um, yeah. and, 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 just, and just make it simple, right? Like, you don't, you don't need to go and build your own IDP. Like, for me, you know, I guess like, you know, what's the difference, right? Like, what's the difference between a pass and an IDP? And if you look at it, well, a pass is basically saying, hey, the product team that builds the pass uh, is effectively saying, hey, I figured out what's the minimum common denominator of what's needed in the market. And here it is, right? With very uh, little ability for you to tweak it to your own needs. Um, and again, that can be great, right? Because um, they've seen a lot of use cases in the market. They know what the main pain points are. They probably know pain points that you haven't even experienced yet. And, and that can be a great starting point. Um, and, you know, I mean, the, the OG pass was Heroku. And, uh, you know, a lot of stuff came after that. And there are a lot of, you know, you mentioned Vercel earlier. There's, there's a lot of, like, you know, solutions are... Uh, kind of like targeted specifically use a specific use cases now, um, but the reason why those don't scale to the enterprise and Heroku kind of you know flattened out in terms of growth at some point was that uh, is that the um, there's the, um, the the complexity of the enterprise can really not be kind of abstracted away in a product that works across the board right. Um, and, and so that's where IDP is coming to place. And what an IDP really is at the end of the day is something that provides a past like experience to developers, right. To enable developer self-service. Um, but, um, you know, on top of the, uh, tech and tools that an enterprise is using. Um, and, and so then what platform engineering becomes and kind of what we advocate for in the community is, a toolbox, right? Um, and so one way of thinking about it is, hey, here's this unopinionated toolbox, platform engineering. And, you know, in there you can have uh, both open source stuff and, you know, commercial stuff. Um, and, uh, and with this unopinionated toolbox, you, the platform team, go and build a opinionated, 
you know, past like experience, an opinionated platform with opinionated workflows for your own engineer organization. Um, and so then your job really becomes, as a platform team, doing that last mile optimization of taking this toolbox tr- and, and, you know, because that's like another fallacy that we've seen in platform teams is, oh, let me build everything from scratch, right? Every every bit and every part of the platform. And that's, and th- and that's that typical kind of, you know, engineering built here syndrome that is is a bit of an issue, right? Because um, your, your business, if let's say your uh, HR company uh, providing, you know, a HR SaaS solution or something, your, your business is HR, it's not infrastructure. Um, and so you should try to basically figure out what are the, what are the things that I need, right, in my toolbox so that I do not reinvent the wheel. But then the value that you deliver as a platform team is really that last mile optimization because you're going to be the only people that will really understand your engineer organization. There's nobody else in the world. There's no other, you know, past product team that can do that for you. And and so uh, that's where, you know, the, the whole like communication between stakeholders becomes really important. Yeah, and I think that's a, um, I know I still personally struggle with it. That's a hard thing to do because it just requires discipline you know we're engineers by trade we like building stuff and there's this um this shiny object oh i can build that and so but you have to be disciplined enough to say you know what a bunch of people have built this before they've already learned a lot of things that i don't even know are a problem yet so and and it's and it's not like what my company does as their core business so the right answer here is to actually build on top of what they're providing rather than building my own. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and um, yeah, and as you said, like there's a lot of shiny object syndrome for sure. Um, and, and I think we all have it to some extent. Um, but that's where I think also being really mindful about the platform initiative and 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 being aligned from uh, with once you align these three stakeholder groups it's really hard uh, to to fall into that right because you'll have like management keeping you in check be like hmm, is this really what we should be investing like 12 months you know in doing um and and vice versa right and 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 you know maybe like management like wants to really like, oh, move really fast on some other things. And then, you know, the other stakeholders are going to be like, no, hey, like this is actually really important. We need to think about where are different golden paths and different interfaces that we want to build here. And, and, and so, but if you build like a healthy tension between the different stakeholders, then I think, um, you know, you have a, a, good, a good chance at, at building a successful platform. Um, I'm interested in exploring a little bit further. You, you mentioned, you know, there's maybe a threshold of, 50 to 100 engineers where it makes sense to start doing platforming. Uh, does it ever make sense to do platforming at a lower number if you can outsource out uh, your platform? And, and Or is that a nonsense sort of question? I mean, I, people ask the question all the time. So like, you know, people are like, oh, I'm going to outsource my DevOps or whatever, um, which I think doesn't make sense because DevOps is like all-encompassing. But you could outsource, in theory, your platform. Does that make sense? And if so, at what level? Yeah, well, I think, you know, outsourcing your platform basically just means bypass, really, <laughs> at that point, right? 
Um, like, uh, and look, we, we, we work as Humitech, for instance, like I think, you know, we, uh, we usually our accounts are, you know, pretty large enterprise, like Fortune 1000, but we also have provided a platform to a 10, 10 engineers shop, uh, that then grew to like, now I think they're like 30 or 40, but like still small, right? Still below that threshold that I mentioned. Um, and so it's totally possible. It's, you know, it can be done. And they, um, you know, and, and we did it at the, at the, at the very beginning. Um, and, and we were effectively their platform team. They basically outsourced, you know, the whole platform thing to us, which we did because it was very early days. Like, Probably now we wouldn't do it um, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, from our like perspective, maybe it doesn't make sense, but we yeah. would just say, hey, go buy a go buy a pass. Right. Um, and and then when you when you grow, come back, talk to us. Right. But I think to your point, it is really important, though, again, to have that conversation and make sure that when you do hit certain, you know, critical mass uh, milestones, you uh, are ready to make that transition because otherwise you are risking getting stuck in the past and then basically having, you know, the typical sort of like vested interest internally of that person that is really happy about that past and doesn't let you kind of, you know, evolve further. And I think that can become a problem for, for a lot of teams. And so it's important to understand. And, and for me, like that threshold, that 50 to 100, it's really when it becomes, I think, key to have an honest conversation internally around, hey, we need to build some sort of platform layer here. And we don't need to build some like crazy Google level thing, right? But what is the uh, starting point? Um, and, and that's where kind of, you know, platform design principles come into place. And you think about, you know, all the products are like, you know, regular product management practices, but kind of like, user research, like talk to your different users, um, uh, you know, lighthouse approach, who do you start with? And and then what is your rollout strategy and all of that stuff? So we talked about um, the three different groups that are the stakeholders in this. Uh, I, so for our listeners, since most of our listeners are DevOps engineers, so that puts them in that stakeholder bucket. Let's say that they, they, they're 100% on board with what we're saying here. And you've done a lot of these, you've worked with a lot of these teams to do it. What's what's their best path forward if they want to drive this initiative from their own team? Maybe to answer that question is important to also kind of understand, okay, what does it mean to be a successful platform engineer, basically, right? Um, and, and so obviously, you know, you should have like a slight understanding of Kubernetes, IC, CICD, workflows, GitOps, whatever. And if you come from the background, like DevOps, SRE, like you, you probably understand all of that or, or most of it, right? And so then the question is, what, what is, like, what's new? Like, what should, it, what, what, what differentiates kind of like your, your traditional DevOps engineer to a platform engineer? And I think it really boils down to two things that are not um, necessarily like technical things, right? But it's, it's, it's really sort of more like mindset and cultural thing. And so the first one is product mindset, right? So as a platform engineer, it needs to be extremely clear that developers are your customers and the users of your product, i.e. the platform. And so instead of trying to teach them infrastructure technology, like I see a lot of DevOps 
team do, um, you really want to focus on shipping a product that enables developer self-service, right? Um, and so the great thing about that is that then all the product uh, management best practices of the last, like, I don't know, 30, 40 years plus apply, right? So what we said earlier, user research, product road mapping, MVP, adoption, rollout, and so on, all of those things apply. And we can just uh, take all the learnings from the last decades and just apply it to, to uh, building a platform. Um, and so that is kind of that principle of platform as a product um, that is, is extremely important. And so related to that, I think, is the second bucket, which is communication, right? Um, I think if you were to plot on, uh, you know, the sort of like on the, on the, on the y-axis kind of communication skills from, from zero to infinite, and on the x-axis you have time, you'd have like a kind of like up into the right um, uh, sort of like line going from the sysadmin to your infrastructure, DevOps engineer, and then eventually platform engineer, right? Because you really need to improve as a communicator as you go along that that function, right? And, um, you know, and, 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 and so... And, and why is that? Because as a platform, as a platform team, right, you really need to like manage different stakeholders, and that I think gets to your question, which is, um, you know, not only and, and so again, if it's three stakeholders, right, the platform team is in between, and you need to be able to speak to both of the other two groups. And so, how do you speak to them? Well, it's interesting because it's a very different lingo that you need to learn for both, right? So when you go and speak to um, your C-level and executives, well, you know, what they're really interested in is, you know, kind of, you know, improving on your door metrics, is cutting your lead time, is, uh, you know, improving time to market. And and probably if you're talking about a, uh, you know, if there's already a certain level of buy-in in a, in some type of platform initiative, then it's, it's also about ROI and, and TCO, total cost of ownership, right? Um so, and, and this is how you need to frame that conversation when you speak to them, right? If you talk about developer experience, I mean, a lot of, a lot of CTOs, you know, won't admit it publicly, right? But like, it's usually they don't care that much, <laughs> right? If you talk about developer experience, like that's not something that really resonates uh, with them. And what resonates is, oh, you're cutting time to market by 20%? Fucking great. Um, and, you know, and that's, and that's, that's what, you know, that's what they hear. And so, and so that's the type of internal marketing that you need to do with that type of, um, stakeholder. When you talk to developers, completely different ball game, right? Like what you're talking about here is, Hey, today you're stuck. And that is really not fun, right? Like today, if you just want to spin up an environment or get an, a, a database provision, I mean, in some enterprise use cases that I've seen, like it takes them two weeks, right? Um, and so, you know, talking about like stifled innovation, but it's just like, it's crazy. And and so, you know, and it's a really frustrating experience. It's like, oh, I just want to do something. I want to test something. I can't. Like I need to wait and I'm stuck, Right. And so then your, you know, the way you frame the value proposition of the platform for developers is really around a no waiting times and freedom, right? You can now self-serve the tech and tools you need to run your app and services independently, right? 
without having to talk to anybody. You don't want to talk to anybody? Great. You don't need to. Um, and, um, and that's, and, and that's kind of like the, the, I think, I think how you frame it. Right. And so this is why kind of going back to the product management thing, it is really important. Like this, this, the figure of the product manager becomes so important because it's usually that sort of like link in between the platform team, the executives and, you know, the, the developers and, you know, with executives, usually it's, it's about kind of, you know, building that initial pitch and then making sure that you can constantly, you know, track your, your, your progress and, and communicate that clearly and do that type of internal marketing. And then with the developers is, I think, a little bit trickier and it's about building really tight feedback loop, both at the beginning, but especially also, you know, throughout the platform initiative to keep iterating and making sure that you're shipping the right features for the right type of users and that you are building the, the right golden paths. And this is something that, you know, we see a lot of platform teams kind of uh, fail to do properly, which is they, um, you know, um, uh, sort of like try to build uh, uh, an interface for developers that is kind of like a blanket one size fits all type of solution. And that in our experience has usually failed. Um, and so as an example, right, let's say you are a senior backend engineer who really loves, you know, messing around with her YAML files. Well, if now I, you know, I give you a, you know, very abstracted sort of UI view of your infrastructure you're going to be really mad at me <laughs> um, because you're going to be, um, you know, you're going to feel abstracted away and the, I, powerless, right? I removed too much context away and now you can't like, you know, decide how much CPU goes on this like Kubernetes pod or whatever. And, um, and uh, but, on, uh, but on the flip side of that, let's say you are a junior front-end engineer and... <clears throat> You just uh, want to, you know, deploy changes and, and test something. And you don't care whether you're running on EKS or GKE. Frankly, you don't care whether you're running on Kubernetes at all, right? Um, and, 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 so, and, and, and so for that, for that user, actually having a much more abstracted away view where you really remove the underlying complexity does make a lot of sense, Right. And so where do you draw the line where there is no answer? And this is, where, this is exactly why past solutions fail in the enterprise, because it's a one-size-fits-all that cannot possibly um, you know, be a good fit for all the different types of development teams and users in the, in the enterprise. And this is where you really need that platform team to be a really good communicator and understand the preferences of the different types of users. So would you, is it a fair assumption to say that then as the platform team, you have a selection of products that your customers, i.e. the developers can choose from? And, and I mean, you could, you could boil it down to, to it being one product, really, ultimately, it's a platform. But I think then the question is around what's the best interface for developers to interact with the platform. And that's where a lot of that uh, sort of like, uh, you know, user research and, and feedback loop um, is, is really important. 
So, so I, I think, yeah, in terms of like, where, uh, where, where are we? Right. Um, so I feel like, you know, the community has seen like great growth, right? We have, I don't know, like we crossed 10,000 members in the platform engineering Slack, uh, a few weeks back, we, um, you know, like platform con last year I had 7,000 signups, 6,000 attendees, which is already great. It was the first ever time we did it this time. It, we already hit 7,000 signups and it's still three months to go. Um, so you can see there is like a, a an exponentially, you know, uh, higher interest in, in platform engineering and feels like everybody's writing about it. It feels like a lot of people are still writing about, is DevOps really that question mark, <laughs> which is funny. Um, but, um, um, you know, and, and it feels like, to me, it feels like a lot of the work that we did in the community, um, or, or broadly that the community basically has spent the last like year and a half kind of like, hey, listen to me. If you want true, you build a Uran. If you want true DevOps at the enterprise scale, you need to build a platform. And it feels like a lot of people are finally listening. Um, and a lot of people are coming to the community and they're really bought in, right? They're like, hey, I get it. This is hot. It's trendy. Somebody tells me pays better. Like, um, <laughs> where do I where do I go from here? Right? Like, how do I get started? And I think, and then there's crickets, right? And and I think that's kind of like the the main uh, challenge and what we see lacking in the community right now is clear design principles, clear design patterns, reference architectures, and really just like good starting points for people to get going on their platform journey, right? And so that's a bit really big focus for us um, this year. Community-wise, it is the new track at PlatformCon, for instance, that I'm personally most excited about. It's called Platform Blueprints. And it's really about trying to build a library of architectures uh, that people share from their own platform journeys that people, the other people can learn from, right? And and eventually build it into a library of, you know, literally things that you can fork and you can get started. Again, like it's not going to be a ready-to-go solution. Otherwise, it'd be, it would just be a pass. But, um, you know, something that is a, a more tangible starting point, right? I feel like we spent a lot of effort and time in the conversation, you know, uh, that is really sort of like your high level thought leadership conversation, right? Around like, Hey, why does this matter? And why we should have this conversation and why is DevOps not dead, but why there is a problem with DevOps and why can platform engineer help with that and all those things. Um, but now I think we really need to start getting a little bit more pragmatic. Um, and, and that's something that I'm really excited about. And I think it's starting to bubble up in the community and uh, yeah, so excited to to see how that plays out and what people will present at PlatformCon as well. And when is uh, Platform come? Um, so PlatformCon is June 8th and 9th this year. Uh, it is free. It is virtual. So anybody can, can join. And uh, I think if people want to learn more about platform engineering and dive a little bit deeper, we have really some of the top, top platform leaders and broadly just DevOps thought leaders on that virtual stage for those two days. And they, I, I really like the format. It, you know, 
unlike a lot of other virtual events that I think, you know, basically just take the offline form and online, which usually ends up in a, ends up being an eight hours long stream of 25 minutes back-to-back talks and, you know, people want to disconnect, let's say. Um, the, uh, you know, what, what we do is basically everything is pre-recorded, 15 minutes long, and it's consume at your own pace, right? It's completely async. We host a 25 minutes kind of welcome in the morning and then off you go. You can consume content and talks at your own pace while you go to work, take your kids to school, whatever. And then what we do is we crunch all the action in the Slack and we have two hours Q&A every day where all the speakers are hanging out on the Slack and it makes it super fun. It's basically like being backstage all the time. Um, and it, you know, and, and speakers like starts threads and they cross pollinate, they, they jump on each other threads. It's really cool to see. And I think makes the event really fun and, and quite special and a bit different, I think. And, uh, so yeah, um, I think if people want to explore more, want to learn more, definitely join that. We're also going to have a bunch of sort of in-person satellite events, um, as throughout platform con. So it's going to be events in Austin and San Francisco, New York, London, I think Bangalore, maybe. And so, um, yeah, uh, I'm excited. I think it'll be fun. And I think I like that approach because having the um, the ability to talk with the speakers, I think, adds a huge, um, a huge amount of value to the conference. And that's something you specifically don't get at in-person conferences. Yeah. So I like that approach of just here's the pre-recorded talk and then here's the guy or girl who gave it in the chat room, hit them up with your questions. A hundred percent. And, you know, what's really been cool to see last year was, you know, it's a two days conference. So I just thought, okay, after the two days it's over, but actually because the, you know, talks are forever on YouTube on the platform engineering YouTube channel anyways, and the speakers are hanging out on the Slack space anyways, people just kept starting threats for like 12 days after the conference. So, there was just this like inertia that kept going that was really cool to see. So, yeah, I think is a is a format that works really great. And you know, our our community, the platform engineering community, really was um, started during COVID, and so it's kind of virtual in its DNA. And now, as I said, we're doing a lot more of like in person stuff all the time. So um, it's a lot more balanced and mixed nowadays. But certainly, coming from that virtual place, also makes a virtual conference like platform con work a lot better right on that's cool so people can get in touch with you over slack at the platform com slack room where else can they contact you online or follow you online yeah so it's actually so platformengineering.org. i think that's a it's kind of like the home of the communities where you see you know upcoming events there's a job board there's a store um, there is a blog post and there's a blog, there's a bunch of different resources there. So that's a great place to start. And that's where you can also join the Slack from there. That's the main CTA, um, or just platformcon.com, similar thing. And, um, yeah. And otherwise I'm Luca Cloud on Twitter. Um, but you probably have already seen me spamming your, your, your feed. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to tell you that. All right. Cool. Should we move on to some picks? Oh, the picks. Sorry, you got the yeah. picks. Yeah. How does that work? 
So um, you can just pick anything that you want to share at all, whether it's a book, a movie, TV show, um, conference, conference. <laughs> yeah. Shameless self-promotion. Anything goes. Awesome. As a matter of fact, I can um, even uh, I can even kick us off. I've got one here yeah. that this one is it's super cool. I have no idea how I'm going to justify this, but I'm going to try. So I'm sure everyone has seen the robots from Boston Dynamics. So there's a company mm -hmm. called Unitree that's making a robotic dog. And if you just go to, um, what is it, Unitree.com, there's the Unitree Go is the name of the dog. And it, it looks like one of those um, robot dogs from Boston Dynamics. And it's super, super expensive. But... The thing just looks super cool. So I'm going to try to figure out how to justify that I need this for work and um, see how it goes. I mean, it's, it's you, a great... You need a watchdog for your observability. I uh, do. And it's one something. that, you know, it, it's one that doesn't have to be fed or... Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm still working on my sales pitch, but... Probably got a USB plug too, so you don't even need an extra charger. Right, I could set my laptop on top of it, and then I could be a true mobile worker. <laughs> it's only two thousand seven hundred dollars, man. I don't even know why you're that. That should just be like petty cash. I know, right? And then the shipping is a thousand bucks for that thing, plus shipping it to the U.S. is another twenty five percent import fee. Where does it ship from? Is it coming yeah. from Taiwan or China? I don't know. Like, I'm assuming Antarctica, and they're strapping it to the back <laughs> of penguins or something. <laughs> yeah. But uh, um, but check it out. Unitree, well, I, the Unitree Go. Oh, that thing is so that, cool. That's just the Air version. If you want the Pro version, it's $3,500. Oh, well, I, I mean, it's work-related. I've got to have the Pro version. You've got to have the Pro. Yeah. <laughs> At that price, you might as well order 10 Right? <laughs> Nice pick. All right. If anybody's listening and they buy one of these, we want you on the show to tell us about it. <laughs> <laughs> or if you buy one and you don't have a place to keep it in your office, you can just have it shipped to me. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I can go next. I'm going to do a shameless self plug today. Uh, today, I just released, today as we're recording, not as you're listening, uh, I just released my fourth uh, Go Code Roast on my YouTube channel which is where I review somebody else's Go code and I tell you what I think is good about it and bad about it. And it's kind of in, inspired by the Comedy Central roasts, uh, although I'm not really that mean. I, don't, I, don't, I actually don't <laughs> like making people feel bad. <laughs> but I, I reviewed a, a project that was shared on Reddit a few weeks ago. They asked uh, the, the author asked for some people to review it. I asked if I could review it publicly on the channel. He said yes. So I'll have a link to that in the show notes if you're interested in that. Or you can just go over, over to my YouTube channel it's called Boldly Go. That's YouTube slash YouTube.com slash at sign Boldly Go. And you can find that in my other videos there. Um, so maybe I'll do kind of like an in-between both of you. Um, uh, so because when you were talking, Will, I was just thinking about this thing that I purchased for um, for working, uh, which is the, 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 the Starlink RV um, uh, solution. And that oh, yeah. and that is 
pretty sick. Um, and uh, and so you can you can because you know like I I I travel a lot and I do the whole digital thing and uh, digital nomad thing and like in a lot of places you get you get there and it's kind of like like the number one question is always is there going to be decent Wi-Fi because <laughs> right. I'm on calls all the time and stuff and and this is just completely remove that 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 sort of uh issue at all so i think that's great if if people are you know a little bit more on the road and uh exploring i think i think that's a really good solution um and then i'll, I'll do a shameless bug too which is uh <laughs> uh if you um if you yeah for for people that kind of like want to dive deeper a little bit in the in the uh, kind of like platform engineering world, there's also Platform Weekly, the newsletter that I write, and um, it's uh, I've been I've been doing it for about like four or five months at this point, and uh, it goes out every week uh, about cloud native platform engineering topics, and I think is is pretty fun. We 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 put some memes in there and stuff like that, so people should should go check that out as well. Right on, nice. For the Starlink, I know they had on their roadmap the ability to remain connected while driving. Is that available now? No, not yet. But yeah, gotcha. there, there's there's a bunch of like different things. There's also a new premium plan that I saw that, and I don't know if you need to upgrade your hardware for that, but um, where it's basically going to be flat global, like all over the world, anywhere you go. Because right now there are like some, and, it, and that's coming, but... Right now, there are like some specific regions like Europe and North America that like had much better coverage. Like if you go to Africa, it's still very little. Um, mm-hmm. But there is like a, a global like worldwide coverage that's coming, which is pretty exciting too. Right on. Cool. Well, Luca, thank you so much for coming on the show. I, it's been a great conversation, very enlightening and very exciting. Um, refreshing to know that DevOps is not dead. It's just yeah, we don't have to kill the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's in assisted yeah, yeah, living, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um and um yeah, maybe maybe that should be the uh the title of the, of the episode. DevOps is not that just assisted living. <laughs> just to, just to, just to a little bit more. Um, just don't call it. Just don't. Just don't title it like "Is that upset?" Question mark because I really cannot see like any more of those clickbait stuff. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, thanks again, everyone. Thanks for listening, and we'll see y'all in the next episode. <laughs> <laughs>